Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. One of the most powerful things is for you to become increasingly conscious of who you are and what makes you tick and the things that sit under the surface that inform those subconscious behaviors. And I think if we can get if we can get kids to uh, understand themselves better at an earlier age, we can create a kinder society which will benefit everybody. This is Edward Francis, co-founder of a mission-driven fashion brand, Tom Print, as well as strategy and brand consultant for a number of great hospitality brands. I really look forward to meeting up with Ed in person in London to record this episode because we have, since the early days of the pandemic, been connecting online, discussing the big challenges of the world, as well as solutions for these. And there's no doubt that we're both on the same mission to build businesses that do more than just make a profit, to make positive impact on people, society, and the planet. And today, we'll dive into how Ed and his co-founder just have launched a fashion brand that from the outset is helping the world become a better place, but doing the right thing up and downstream in the supply chain, as well as setting up a charity. Ed tells his story and how he fell in love with India and how his connection with India inspired him to launch Tomprint. We also talk about why business is the key solution to the challenges of the world and how you can lead yourself better. There's also some great advice on how you can get started to make more impact in your community. Before you tune in, please sign up for our weekly newsletter, Maverick Talk, which is packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Find the links in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. This conversation will make you think about how you can make more impact through business. Enjoy. Today, we're really gonna dive into as we often do here on the show, but this is going to be an interesting one. A business that has started as a force for good from day one. And it's also something that runs through the veins and the heart and the soul of the founders. The purpose is a personal purpose. It's almost a vocation, I would say, from the conversation I've had with one of the co-founders. And they're doing one thing well, which is going to be really interesting to talk about today as well. And they, um, they are really, really focusing on to change something far away from here, but something that needs to be changed. With that said, welcome to the show, Ed. It's a great pleasure to have you here. Finally. Thanks so much, Michael. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you here because, um, yeah, we, we've been in touch over the pandemic a couple of times online, but we never met face-to-face. So this was our first face-to-face conversation today here in, here in Soho. So, so I'm really looking forward uh, to hear about the new project, uh, Tom 
print and also hear a bit about what else you're up to because I think there's a lot to learn from, from your journey, even though it was early, early days, as you said, before we went on here on air. But tell people a bit that they don't know Edward Francis, what you're all about, your journey, and what all this new things that it's about, selling T-shirts. Indeed. Well, yeah, thank you so much for having me here and also for deviating slightly from your very strict <laughs> hospitality part of the of the podcast. So mavericks, we might be trying to be, but, uh, you know, we, we, we are as a, as a business inherently connected to, 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 to hospitality. So, yeah, so I guess, you know, my my background as in terms of the kind of potted history was uh, I, I dropped out of school because I was spending too much time working in a, a local restaurant. So I grew up in, in rural Oxfordshire and I think you know, hospitality excited me even back when I was 15, 16 years old because um, it seemed to open up my eyes not only to this new industry but also to this, this, this kind of exciting world that attracted really interesting people. Um, and, you know, growing up, we didn't eat out a lot. You know, we didn't necessarily always have a huge amount of money. So we, we lived a lovely, very comfortable life. But I guess hospitality opened up my eyes. And so I moved to London at 20 and I ended up working for Soho House for a, a number of years and then ETM Group and then ran a couple of independents. And I think, you know, hospitality is in my blood. And since 2015, I've been initially just helping to open restaurants as a consultant and then more latterly kind of really getting my head around the idea of brand and the power of brand when you look at it as as I call it emotional engagement over time and looking at how brand can actually touch every aspect of a of a, of a business and then at the same time as that um, through complete coincidence um, I was running a pub in North London called The Engineer in Primrose Hill um, and we were supporting a charity based in Calcutta. Um, we hosted a kind of cabaret garden party to raise money to launch their London office um, and then started doing what Street Smart now do, so adding a percentage to or a pound to people's bills. And I was invited to go to Calcutta and see where the money was going in 2009. So I'd never really had an interest in India or it hadn't really been on my on my radar. And I went and I had, you know, uh, a difficult and very challenging experience spending a couple of weeks um, with some people living completely different lives. And then kind of over the last whatever it is now, 11, 12 years, I think India became this part of my life and at some point I was commuting back and forth to Bombay working with a big restaurant client over there um, I've been sponsoring some kids for 12 years who are now you know they were 12 or 13 years old when I first met them and now a number of them are off doing their masters uh, one's going to the University of Dublin to do her masters in economics and so wow. being involved in these people's journeys and I'd always wanted to make that a bigger part of my life and so this next venture thumbprint which I'm, you know we're obviously going to talk about is a a natural progression, I guess, of 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 that bit of my life, and and in some way bringing that together with hospitality. It's really interesting because you talk almost like you have a vocation in life. You turn into business opportunity. And Sean Askinowski from Askinowski Chocolate, I interviewed him the other day, mm. and he talks about that the importance of finding your vocation in most thing you do and find in a way to, to scale that because that's gonna make you feel that you live with purpose. I don't know, is that the similar kind of feeling, feeling yeah. you feel and it almost, hit, almost like a journey you didn't expect to yeah. happen? 
Definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, as we as we go about our lives and we dabble and we experiment, you know, I, I'm a great fan of, of late specialization and, and experimentation and um, with this idea of never fully settling. And, and, and I think, you know, not 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 having that tunnel vision where you're kind of, well, I work in this now. And so that's what I've got to do. Um, and and actually then through going through that journey of, of learning about yourself and, and what really matters to you and what sits beneath the kind of surface level stuff that we're all bombarded with and 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 informs a lot of the way that we live on a on a on a day to day um and yeah i think joining up your kind of we call it purpose if you like but i think joining up the reason that you exist and the the the, 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 the things that you hold dear with the thing that you do every day and that's effectively what what we're trying to do Tell us a bit more about Tom Print um, and where you are now, and what what the the purpose or the mission sure. of yeah, yeah. of that is, and what you're set out to change. Yeah, so we're we're straight out the traps with with Tom Print. We've um, we've you know been out in the world for I think about three weeks now, and. Um, the the essence of it actually is this idea of community and i think i've always been inspired by that notion of bringing people together you know and in a hospitality setting it's you know that wonderful thing that happens when you put staff customers people from all walks of life together and seeing how everyone benefits from that and i guess you know that's the essence of what a good brand is um and that's the essence of what of what thumbprint is and so you know in a in a nutshell um the the the, the beginning of thumbprint was I was trying to start a charity in the lockdown in, well, in late 2019, and then lockdown happened. And my per- my passion is to try and get girls into school, because when you educate girls, they hopefully help themselves, help their families, you know, help the communities, they marry later, they have fewer children, they reduce the population burden on the planet, you know, and it's a big piece of what David Attenborough talks about, is if we can get girls into school, reduce the population peak, make it peak sooner and earlier, uh, then it makes everything else that we have to do easier. So there's a real environmental piece here. But but honestly, it's about that. It's about that personal story of like being involved with people's lives completely accidentally. Look, look, this amazing change. I didn't do much. (laughs) They just needed a little bit of a nudge. And so when the charity bit became impossible, there were a couple of light bulb moments that happened. I was um, at a charity event and they were selling these um, well-made but really crudely designed laptop bags. And they were made by women from this community in South Bombay. A lot of them illiterate, you know, from very, very difficult um, personal circumstances. And of course, everybody has a sewing machine because they have to mend and make do. They can't afford to go out and buy something just because it breaks. And so that was one of those things where I was like, okay, wow, actually, you know, that was that light bulb moment number one and the second one was realizing well one of the biggest barriers to getting kids into school or specifically getting girls into school in the developing world is the parents don't see the value of educating their daughters because the daughter is a commodity which will be sold via the dowry system to a husband the family benefit from that so the boys have to go to school because they have to get the job because they're the pension so in essence if we can get women into work we can change their attitude to educating their daughters and we can get girls into school and so that was really what we set out to do the fact that we then thought well let's make t-shirts is actually you know by the by it was a it was a charity that we were trying to set up in the first place and um, how did you organize all that? Because it sounds like, you know, you need to organize something that happens in South Bombay, probably a slum area, I guess, mm. where I guess you don't go online to organize these people. That's like a whole 
set up a supply chain. It's yeah. not like, you know, from idea to mm. where you are now, where you launched, you have yeah. your crowdfunder yeah. going. Yeah. There's probably been, you know, lots of challenges I could imagine. Yeah, and compounded by the fact that until recently my co-founder was in Panama. So um, <laughs> we had we had this lovely time zone challenge where, you know, she'd be up at the crack of dawn and the guys in India would be would be would be just before bedtime and trying to do everything over Zoom because at the time, you know, we couldn't we couldn't travel. Um, so everything was done online and, you know, the sampling process of getting things sent back and forward and fabric samples and everything else. It was it was a real it was a real challenge, which is why it took us, you know, the seed of the idea, let's say, was summer 2020. And it's why it's taken us nearly two years to get there because everything happened super slowly. And um, the, the the setup that we have is that we have a, um, a partner charity because the other serendipitous thing was that there were these two guys from this community who would set up this small production training studio. So they were already making stuff. They were already employing these women. So actually it was a complete coincidence that we ended up um, working and partnering with, with, with them. Um, so, I think if we'd had to have set that whole piece up from scratch, we'd still be we'd still be there, you know. But what it was about was saying, well, how do we now bridge the gap between their current capability and the quality that we need to be able to deliver to create a product that's going to be acceptable for a Western audience? And um, I one of the one of the things I I was thinking as well that why if you know you said it ended with a T-shirt mm. Om, mm. almost by you know accident or because of the process so why a t-shirt why why a fashion <laughs> brand because you you set, set yourself in the early part of this conversation i i spent my time in hospitality mm. what was like fashion brand is also a whole new industry to yeah attack. don't i know it um <laughs> and uh, no i think in my naivety um you know understanding brand understanding to a degree the the cause that we're trying to support you know i wouldn't say i'm an expert in development or social impact but I, I've got a sense of it because I've been in and out of it for, for 12 or 13 years and in my naivety I thought well t-shirts must be the easiest thing to make you know it's just a couple of pieces of fabric it's my and it, and it turns out that actually t-shirts are really fucking hard to make <laughs> um, and, and and so as usual I like to kind of you know I like to go great guns with things and and sometimes I'm guilty of not listening properly to other people so we end up making mistakes and but but yeah it, it was just well t-shirts must be easy everybody loves a good t-shirt they're a blank canvas for, for other brands and that was always part of our thing was we came up with this line of connecting conscious citizens with the brands they love and the people that make their clothes as our kind of, you know, uh, big idea, if you like. So it was always that Thumbprint was going to be this brand that that worked with other brands um, to create that lovely kind of triangular relationship, if you like. Um, so yes, if I had the time again, would I do t-shirts? I think I probably would, but, but it was it was tough. It was tough, you know. Creating a fashion brand that makes t-shirt and that there's so, so many others probably making good quality t-shirt also with some kind of impact but what really was puzzling my mind as I was preparing for this what is actually making you guys so unique compared to them I mm. call it from a brand experience or why is it that you are solving something that's more important than other t-shirt companies yeah no it's a very it's a very good question and I think you know this idea of combining sustainable fashion with social impact I'm not aware of other brands out there that are doing that to the level that we are. And actually the jumping off point being that impact 
piece. You know, it's not it's not an afterthought or it's not something that comes out of a branding exercise. That is the reason we exist. You know, as I said, we, we set out to start a charity. The reason we exist is to change the opportunities and, and that whole kind of landscape for girls and women from low-income communities in India. What we don't want to do is to tell that story in the wrong way we're really co- we're really conscious of that so i think we've got to have or, or the aspiration is to have a very crisp aesthetically pleasing brand that sits on a par with you know other independent fashion brands in the uk or in in the west or wherever but that also has this social impact um and so i think it's the balance of those two things that makes us unique um, and it's also, I think, the commitments that we make within, that, that are baked into the business model that I'm not aware of other brands doing. Yeah, it's very interesting that your focus is on, on the women. And I think that goes to, to other parts of the world. Like that's what David Attenborough talks about as well. I've been in Africa way part myself. And in my 20s, I have actually saved up some money I want to go to give to this fisher men's village Mm. in Kenya and I did one big mistake I had the money I got to there we saw how they lived it was it was it was it was game changing like your trip to India and I gave the money to to the man I thought I should give it to but three hours later after we came back from a tour seeing some crocodiles and stuff uh, all the men were sitting and drinking in the local cafe and they were drinking up all the money and they just couldn't understand and that, you know, and then there was like, I got quite frustrated and trying to approach this man and tell him. And then there was like a priest there and he told me, you can't give the money to the, the man or the opportunities. Mm. You need to give it to the women. They can translate it in. We are either sending themselves or their kids to education because they they think about the community more than the man. And it was like such a, you know, I don't know if he was right or wrong, but it was like, wow, okay. Mm. That that's like quite a, a crazy, crazy experience, and therefore I I, I really believe you you're onto something there with the, so, such a unique focus. You know, you're doing one T-shirt, and I talk a lot about doing one thing well. Uh, I really like that. But but how do you bring that to life then? So so you 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 started the crowdfunder, you are found the women that can make the T-shirt, they're ready to go. How do you bring that purpose, vision, this impact journey to life in you in your everyday thing, and how can how can I, as consumer or business, get involved? Yeah. Well, I think I mean the, the getting involved piece is really simple, and I think there are there are two things. One is jump onto the the, the website or onto our crowdfunding page and buy a t-shirt. Um, and from a from a kind of business perspective, you know, we're working on a number of interesting merchandise collaborations at the moment with some really great hospitality, food and drink brands. And I think that's really for us in terms of we've got to go slow if we can get half a dozen really brilliant clients bought in early on and almost form that initial community around our business, then that might puts us in a great position in 12 months time to go further. So that's that's kind of how, how people can get involved, I guess. It's a, it's it's as simple as that. You know, we, we'd, we'd love to speak to anybody who's got a need for merch and kind of buys into the idea of working with a company that's in its infancy. We're slow, we're still quite expensive, <laughs> um, but, but we're trying to do something really different and and you you mentioned you know get to a point where we can grow because i guess that you know like anything to be sustainable it needs to have growth profit is a business in the end of the day selling the t-shirt and you need to make sure you can 
pay and provide for for the ladies mm-hmm. that's doing these t-shirts. So, so what is your view as you came from this, your very unique point of view from purpose and vacation? What is your view on growth then? Yeah. When is enough? Well, yeah. when we've ended gender equality globally would be the lofty answer, yeah. but I'm yeah. not gonna, I and mean, that's not the answer, I don't think, because it would be very naive of me to sit here and say that I think that's what we're, I think that's what we're trying, we're trying to do. But in a way, you know, there's plenty of people that that, that can benefit from from this model. And, you know, our, our strategy, if you ask me what sits in the business plan, um, is to create a network of, of employee-owned um, studios around the world. So whilst we're focusing initially on South Bombay and then maybe India as a whole, and we can go to different cities and, and, and we can expand capacity that way, there's no reason at all why we can't go to produce in South America or in Africa. You know, there's, there's absolutely a, a, a possibility. And that interesting model of kind of we come with the order book and we help to create these um, employee-owned um, suppliers effectively so wouldn't it be amazing if we could work out well what does a kind of factory in a box look like we need £25,000 and that gets us you know the equipment the premises the training the impact piece to be able to employ 25 people for example and then what we actually do is we facilitate local financing so that uh, a local business will invest in that business and that that business is then owned by the women who work there. So we can then have this network of suppliers wherever we want to have them that are really grassroots in the community employing women and they own a part of the business. And the second part of that is we've 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 registered our, our own charitable foundation and we're taking a pound from every garment that we sell and we're funneling that into grassroots education projects and that money then goes to educating younger girls in the community so it's this whole piece of actually looking at this in the round yes get the women into work yes change their attitude to educating girls but then actually help to fund getting the girls into school and so one of the reasons our price point is where it is at the moment is because we're taking a big chunk out paying double the local living wage because that's what our impact assessment suggested that we needed to pay to actually be able to have a genuine stability for these women who might be um, sole breadwinners in their families they have two two and a half children per family Um, and also being able to make this charitable argument as well and that, that's super interesting. You from the outset have really thought I can hear in detail about how the business is going to impact, you know, downstream the situation. And I guess you also thought about upstream because lots of businesses, I don't know how, they, I don't know anything about fashion, but I definitely know in the food system, there's lots of people that just know the first layer of the supply chain. And then when they start to dive into it, they either get a shock mm. and don't want to look at it anymore and they go and deal with it. Yeah. We had Tom Barton on the podcast and at that point, I think it's almost a year now, he talked about regenerative farming. Mm. Now they've done it mm. because he's been on this three-year journey down the meat supply chain mm. in his own mm. supply chain. Yeah. Do you think also that's where you know you can make most impact as a business? If you want to be a force for good, you actually start in your own supply chain and start working down there and understand how that work and how you can yeah. be really a big part of changing that. I think you that. probably have to. And 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 I think also th- you've got to go slow from that point of view as well because you know if you look at the complexities, you know, we've got to buy fabric. We need to make sure that that fabric is what it says it is. It's a huge challenge in India. Two of the big certifying bodies of organic 
cotton farming have pulled out of the country completely because they can't even work out whether stuff's authentic or not. So it's a total minefield. So, you know, you've got that piece and then that opens the door to actually the well-being of the farmers and their families. So it's, it's a minefield. And then you've got the dyeing piece, you know, where are your dyes coming from? You know, we've, we've got plant-based dyes for everything except black. We can't find a supplier of black plant-based dye at the moment um, so we're using a kind of relatively environmentally friendly dye so there's that piece and then you've got labels at the moment our labels are made in the UK from polyester so they're totally unsustainable and bloody expensive so that's something that we've got to get fixed so the complexities in the supply chain are huge so we've got to get there at some point we're not there yet and we won't be there for a while but what we've got to do is focus on one thing at a time and right now we want to make sure that 12 women have enough work so that they can go home and provide for their families and that's where we have to that's where we have to start but yes going deep into the supply chain I think is is a is a is a is a non-negotiable you know it's very easy to go out like all the big chains are at the moment you know the Coses and the Arquettes and the H&Ms of this world and making a big you know song and dance about sustainable organic fabric well that's the only drum they can bang because they don't know anything else but they can they can make that claim you know and that's why that is the prevailing message but actually if you use regenerative agriculture regenerative farming as a principle why can fashion not be regenerative in, in a way we're trying to repair these communities we're trying to you know to, to, to help them become better cleaner safer more equal places to live yeah and i guess that one of the two things i definitely have read about as well is that there's definitely enough clothes to dress the world population and more on so we should actually reuse more of that and then also again comes back to food you know we eat or we produce you know almost 5,000 calories a day we need about two and a half or two to two and a half thousand as human beings so we can also feed the planet there's so many things if we really put our mind to it because we've done incredible things as human we could really solve some big problems do, do you think that you know business really is the the way to make the world a better place because there's so many challenges in the world and it feels like there's a lot of people turning to business and say, we need you to step up. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be because, you know, we can all have these conversations about, you know, martyrdom and, and, and you know, the only way to serve, save the world is to, is, 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 to, is to regress and to live simpler. And I think there's a, there's a part of that. But the reality is we live in a capitalist world and... Businesses are always going to want to make money. People are always going to want to buy stuff. And I think, you know, it's naive to think otherwise. It's like looking at travel. You think, well, everyone bangs on about, oh, you shouldn't fly anymore. But actually, yes, you shouldn't fly unnecessarily. But the, the world is connected. And if you don't do that, then what is the knock-on effect? You know, countries like South Africa, you know, looking at them completely crippled because such a high percentage of their GDP comes from, from um, tourism and they haven't had any and the country's falling over. Sri Lanka, you know, so all, all of these things. So I think we've got to have a realistic conversation about, yes, we've got to buy less. We've got to buy better. All of those, you know, well, mm. well, well used cliches. But yes, I think it is, given we've got a completely inept government, how business can actually take responsibility for that. And I think we've got to move away without sounding preachy or, 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 or kind of too worthy. We've got to move away from innovation for innovation's sake. Mm. And I think we waste an awful lot of resources, talent, time, creativity on really stupid things. You know, I saw on LinkedIn this morning, Heinz have come up with a spoon shaped chip to get your perfect chip to thingy ratio. And yes, we need a bit of fun and we need these gimmicks in our life. I'm not saying we all become this kind of like boring, worthy, you know, but at the same time, like if you can channel that level of originality and creativity into doing something that's fundamentally built on 
impact rather than purpose. I like purpose, but I think I like to talk about impact. You know, mm. I always use this example of, of, of like a mayonnaise company doesn't need to have a, get a world-changing purpose. A mayonnaise company could just be like, I want to make the best mayonnaise in the world or I want to sell more mayonnaise in the world. And that, that's a good purpose. But actually, what impact are you making by being the best mayonnaise in the UK or globally or whatever it is? It, 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 you can have an impact. And I think divorcing impact and purpose, and maybe we're getting into brand semantics, but I think that's, that's for me, an interesting conversation is brands that can't have a purpose need to have an impact. Um, and, 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 and that needs to, I think, again, become a non-negotiable. But I guess like just holding on to the, the purpose and impact bit, mm. which I actually agree with you, it's often, you know, purpose is thrown around. But I, I had a, yesterday I was lucky to spend some hours with uh, David Lockwood uh, from Neil's Yard Dairy. And he said like, and he always, you know, reminds me with their purpose, mission. He called it, call it what you want. He says, mm. we want to make British cheese better. That's why we're here. And that's why what we all are working on every day, just yeah. a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And if we do that better, we help the farmer. And and that's interesting. Again, they don't have like going to save the world kind of thing. But that's really important because yeah. that's food, something Absolutely. we eat. And if we do that better, we yeah. will get and a better world. And the impact world. they have is huge because yeah. they're helping to support the livelihood of X number of farmers in the UK and, you know, putting British cheese on the map, all of that. It's all yeah. great stuff. And I, but I think that's what I mean. It's not necessarily your purpose doesn't have to give that that away. It, it, the, the, it's the impact piece, because if you if you if you start talking about impact over purpose, then you, you know, it's no one's got anywhere to hide because, yeah, if the purpose is that, as you say, with Neil's Yard, but actually, well, OK, well, what, what's the impact you're you're having? So I think that, that impact agenda for me is really is really interesting. Where, where, where you? Uh, what is the next step for for you guys and the the journey you're on? You launched. You have a crowdfunder up. We already talked a bit about that. But what is like the next three months? How do they look for you? So we've got to um, get these initial early adopter hospitality businesses on board. Get some really great merch done for them. Really to get the cash flow in to be able to buy better machinery make everything else that we've got to do easier and then take this crowdfund to its natural completion and you know we'd love to smash our target if if we don't it's not the end of the world but we would we would like to and then understand what, what, uh, what target are we we aiming for um 500 t-shirts yeah yeah it's about 25 grand um and um then we've got to then develop our um premium basics range for our own direct to consumer sales which will be a very small capsule collection of four to six garments. So we might do a sweater, um, we might do um, some pants or something, but I think it's it's, it's probably going to be t-shirts and tops. Um, and to get to that point, we've got to continue building this small but very engaged community initially because we need the feedback. You know, how does that cut work on a woman of that shape? How does that cut work on a man of that size? You know, and, and actually, because we've got to get the quality of the product right. You know, we need that real life information, feedback, and we, we, we want this group of people to feel that they're part of that of that process. So if we can get to this time next year and we've got half a dozen brilliant um, 
premium basic products on our website and we've got some interesting brand collaborations um, which we might sell through our website but also obviously those businesses would, 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 would retail those as merchandise. I think that looks like success for us and then at that point it's about probably going out and doing you know a bit of a bit of a raise um, to plug the gap in our understanding of how fashion works um, you know so I think given that I bang on about industry specialism all the time I really believe that you know um, you can be a generalist as, as, as I am but my, my specialism my niche is hospitality why because I remember what it was like to be 22 and being promoted to a supervisor at Soho House thinking I know everything but at the same time knowing nothing and I think you know we're talking about hospitality concepts and brands and launching those which I, I still do I split my time you know three days on, on, on consulting work two days on thumbprint um, my big message for brand is I'm not a marketer. Um, Dan, who was on your show last week, thoroughly rate him. You know, I think if you want if you want great outwards looking stuff, Dan's your man. Your social media messaging, storytelling. My bit is brand experience and the internal piece. And so, you know, I like to be in there and building out that guest experience and understanding all of those crucial all those crucial touch points. So I, I, I I'm 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 conscious of the benefit of working with me from a hospitality specialism point of view, so translating that through to thumbprint, we've got to build up that foundational knowledge and then bring somebody else in to help take it to the level that we need to to be competitive and, and achieve that ultimate growth plan. Hmm. So super interesting, super interesting. And we will put everything in the, the show notes about where you are and, and if people are thinking, what is that crowdfunder about? And that they, they can click the link. But you already touched a bit about what is like, you know, the most pressing issue that you would like to be solved here in in the world because there's so many of them but as a as a business person and a founder of Tumprint and what else like what is like you know you already talked about women is that the if we fix that problem are we then on the right course women in education it's nothing to do with either well it's to do with it's to do with education i think if if i could solve one issue um, and this comes from a personal point of view rather than necessarily a professional one. I think it's the way that we educate our kids. Mm. And I think there is uh, this awful pressure on children to go through this ridiculous funnel of, you know, you do 12 GCSEs, three or four A-levels, one degree, one master's, and you're, 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 you're told that <clears throat> you've got this little window Hmm. where you've got to decide what you want to do. You're you're almost thinking about your career when you're 12 or 13 years old, and then if you don't make it in those years post-graduation, you fucked it for life. And I just think that's such a dangerous message because it, it discourages experimentation and exploration. And the other big challenge is we don't teach mental health in schools, and I think it's mental. I, I've had huge problems with mental health. I've done therapy for on and off for the last seven years and I did a, a sustained period of about three and a half years at the beginning of those seven. And I just think that one of the most powerful things is for you to become increasingly conscious of who you are and what makes you tick and the things that sit under the surface that inform those subconscious behaviours. And I think if we can get if we can get kids to uh, understand themselves better at an earlier age. We can create a kinder society, which will benefit everybody. Well, that, that's that's super interesting because I had a similar conversation the other day, and I can remember, yeah, there's almost there's an early pandemic where I interviewed Chip Conley from the states, and he has, 
his uh, his uh, little resort down in Mexico now, where you in principle go and find yourself in your midlife and how you can do these transformation. And he talked a bit about that, you know, many things you do in life, you become very aware, you do them to become the person you want to become. And it's not about the education you take and, and so on, as you said. It's like, actually, how can you actually lead yourself? So mental health and so on. Actually, be be honest with yourself and go and deal with it. But we don't have the tools to do that. So we end in these crises, as you said. Mm-hmm. And I think definitely if we talk about our industry, hospitality, that's definitely talk about a mental health mm-hmm. crisis, mm-hmm. which I think is just going to escalate because of the pressure of operational challenges if we just take them. That's also probably going to be even worse challenges coming ahead. I can't. I don't have mm. a crystal ball. I wouldn't be sitting here if I knew what was happening mm. in the crystal ball. But I think it's going to be even tougher. And I think that mental health pressure is really mm. interesting that we don't have these tools if we don't go and seek them out ourselves or go mm. and get mm. help. And mm. yeah, Exactly. And where do you look for stuff? You know, I, I don't want to get on that very well-banged social media drum, mm. but, but you know, it's very damaging. It's fucking us up, you know, because we, we sit here in our reality and we look at other people's polished, veneered versions of their lives and you know there's so much success out there and all of that all of that narrative rises to the surface and it just demoralizes everybody you know if you're 14 15 years old I mean it's bad enough at 38 you know and I think we've got a real problem here bubbling under the surface and I think that's why we need to build in that understanding and that resilience much earlier on because if we're going to continue to bring kids into this digital world and don't even get me started on the metaverse mm. um, I'm going to get kids brought into this digital world then we, we've, we've got to sort that problem problem out because again I love <laughs> I love cliches because they become cliches because they're true but um, you've got to put your own mask on first and we can be we can be most beneficial to others when we're all right and increasingly on a day-to-day basis we're not all right and I think that's you know that, that's that's crucial and then you know the, the the picture of you know you've got to do massive raises and you know the valuation and everything else I'm not against that I've got plenty of friends that have grown successful businesses but it's not the only route and where's the voice for the other route? The slow, steady, calm route, you know. Uh, that's super interesting. I'm going to make a, a connection again. We had uh, Matt Lederhausen on the show, uh, former top executive for McDonald's and now has a B course. It's mm. an impact investment company. And he talks a lot about giving companies the time to actually develop that business and grow within that. So mm. actually having that patient as investors. So you're not talking a three-year plan and then we sell and maybe we're never going to sell. Maybe actually we're just going to build a great business that's going to work for every stakeholder and we hang on for 10 or 20 years. And I think if you go back in, in time and, and, and I actually talked with David from Niels Yard about that and they are a great example of that yesterday. He talks also about that, you know, it's not about when we hit some point, it's about what we can do today and actually make sure that all stakeholders win tomorrow. Mm, mm. And I think that's that that thought about there was only a shareholder yeah. that has to win. That's what mm, probably mm. needs to change if we want to change the, the output and the impact yeah. as you're seeking for. That's really interesting to that up. But one of the things I was thinking about as well preparing for this, um, Ed, was that, you know, um, because you just mentioned, you know, the, even the last seven years have been challenging. What about the last two years? Because you've gone through huge amount of challenge. And what have been, you know, your main learnings as, yeah. you know, a business leader, as an individual? And what did you take away from it? Or what are you still on a journey with? I think living a simpler life um, has been the main takeaway. And, you know, 
I think I've lived in London since I was 20, so 18 years, nearly half of my life, and this is an amazing place to be. But at the same time, there are a lot of external factors that I think sometimes pull you away from 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 your your kind of true natural self. And 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 again, for me, it's about you know the beauty of therapy and and and, and understanding or beginning to understand mental health is that what you do is you equip yourself with all of these tools to be able to deal with you know negativity, depression, intrusive thoughts, stress, whatever it is. And you, you, you I'm not saying you'll ever get in the point where you can control your thoughts, but you can certainly have a bit of a game of whack-a-mole with yourself. <laughs> and and I think that actually had I not done that, the last two years would have been really difficult because, you know, the, we, we lost a huge amount of work at the beginning of the pandemic. Two huge, you know, six-figure projects were pulled. We scrabbled around, did some bits and pieces. Um, and it has been, it has been tough. But but luckily, we've just about scraped through. And then I decided to close down my agency four or five months ago, um, go out as a one-man band brand consultant, and then allow Thumbprint to kind of begin to begin to come out into the into the world. Um, so the biggest learnings for me, I guess, have just been actually to go a bit slower. Um, and um, as someone who loves a good night out and some nice stuff, stop spending so much money. Mm. <laughs> What, how, how did you, because the, when we're in that, you know, and I know it for myself, and it could be you're working on things you're really interested in, you really want to change something. How do you go slower in principle to go, principle you're saying if we go slower, we can probably go faster and better uh, with the right things. But how do you do that? Because you're in that, you know, lots of people out there listening, oh, I'm in that, I need to do all the things. The hamster wheel, we call it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think that there, there's a there's a reality to time at the moment. I do still have a relatively busy consulting life, um, and you know, so th- from a thumbprint perspective, it, it only has a limited amount of time that I can justify spending on it at the moment. And I think that you know that that's probably the right way to go about it, given the challenges we've talked about in terms of needing to understand the fashion industry. We're working with these guys that are you know they're they're, they're not a factory where we can place an order and get it get it made it needs a bit of hand holding but on a kind of broader point I just I've become very good because I've had to because my mental health suffers I've become very good at structuring the way and how and when I work and getting into this really nice rhythm and um, my girlfriend at the beginning thought I was completely crazy but now she I think has come round to the idea I would say to her right I do work late Monday <laughs> I do work late Wednesday and then Tuesday Thursday and Friday I do nine till six and on Tuesdays Thursdays and Fridays I do client work I do all my meetings on a Wednesday every week Monday I never do anything except sit at the office at home and work on stuff and so I'm very structured in in how that I, in how I in how I work and work will always occupy the space you allow it to so if it's six o'clock on a Friday I'm closing my laptop even if I'm halfway through an email and I'm going to the pub you know I sometimes work on a weekend if I if I feel compelled to do it and it's usually on things that are enjoyable or exciting or pleasurable or the stuff that I I, I, I often don't find time to do during the week. But again, it's a very rhythmic thing. If I feel like it, I will. And if I don't, I won't. So I think it's, you, you know, uh, how we live our days is how we live our lives. And, and I, I don't want to make these enormous sacrifices today for something that may or may not happen tomorrow. I, I don't want to work, you know, 100 hours a week and every hour that God sends. It works for some people. works for Gary Vaynerchuk. doesn't work for me. And, mm. and, and that's, that's, I think, just keeping that perspective and keeping that balance. It's really interesting that you actually used your calendar to book out time. 
Oh, I time block like crazy yeah. for everything. Yeah, yeah. What has the biggest learning been with that? Because people say, oh, well, the, you can't just, there will be meeting that needs to happen on days where you blocked out your time. What, what has your learning been with that? Because <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very similar. Yeah, in kind yeah. Of way. I, I do it a bit different, but I also block out time. I think everything works until it doesn't. And, and, you know, we all go through these kind of cycles and these swings and roundabouts, whatever you want to call it, where we, we have time where we're super engaged and we've got loads of energy and then we have time where we're not so engaged and have less energy. And so I think have that structure. Don't worry if you deviate from it. You've got to get to a point, I think, where you just trust yourself to do the right thing. You know, I'm obsessive over to-do lists and notes and this, that and the other. But ultimately, sometimes I just put all that to one side and I'm just like, you know what? I'm being drawn to working on this today and I'm going to work on that and the beauty from a from a kind of structural perspective of being a religious time blocker is that if you've put in and I always add on 25% interruption time so if I think something's going to take three hours I'll probably put it in for four is that you can then literally in your calendar start prioritizing by moving things around and so I think that that that's really that's really nice um, and keeping a to done list as well I always do a to done list at the end of the day to, 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 to give myself that satisfaction when you feel like oh fuck I haven't achieved anything um, but actually when you write down what you have achieved you, you always feel that kind of comfort that you've 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 you've, you've got some really good stuff done and that's super in- interesting because often if you work on the right things it's not easy quick fix things it's It's processing something big. It could be, you know, mm. a document or it could be a project where, you know, you if you move the needle five percent that day, that's quite quite a lot. And often we forget that and we get that feeling. Then we get busy doing quick things, emails, mm. all these mm-hmm. distractions. Mm. Um, another interesting thing you, you said I really liked was as well that, you know, when you start to put this in, in your calendar, because I I meet a lot of people say, I'm too busy to that. Have you actually start really booking the time out for the twenty percent that gives you eighty percent? everything in life, you know, play, work, yeah. whatever it has to be, time with family, and just book it out. It doesn't, you don't need to follow it, but you then suddenly find out, I can't commit to any more this week. I can't mm. go to that network thing. I can't do that. And what? Because I need to do the 20% that give me 80% before I can commit to any further. And I think, and then you find out the 20, also when you start thinking about the 20%, you said indirectly, you find yeah. out it's actually a few things I need to do to yeah. really have the impact I need to have. Yeah, definitely. And I think just yeah, feeling and feeling the feelings that you're feeling and uh, and and you know the energy levels and I think just be- becoming conscious of that, you know. I was really ill this week, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning. I did, hardly got out of bed. I've had some form of awful summer man flu, not mm. COVID. I've been I've been testing. And, you know, I was super stressed by Wednesday because I thought, oh, my God, I've got five days work of work to do in two days. And I started putting stuff in for the weekend. And I just thought, no, it's the middle of summer. The weather's beautiful. It'll, it'll just wait. It'll just wait. You know, I think these self-imposed deadlines that we give ourselves, they're very rarely deadlines. And I, I made a note to talk about this. So maybe it's a good kind of segue back to hospitality and thumbprint and whatever else is, you know, um, I suffer from this impatience sometimes. I just mm. want to get stuff done. And we kept yeah. pushing the launch of Thumbprint back and back and back and back because we weren't ready. We weren't ready. This was problematic. This wasn't right, et cetera, et cetera. And someone saying in one ear, well, perfectionism is the enemy of prof- whatever the expression is. And someone else is saying, oh, you've just got to get going. And we we launched. And actually, I 
bloody wish we'd waited two more weeks because I feel like in hindsight we didn't quite get the marketing lined up correctly for the for the crowdfund and as a result that hasn't taken off as we expected mm. again I'm not worried about it we'll get there um, so there is this kind of always this tension isn't there between this kind of yes patience 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 go slow get stuff right but that inertia that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have to get stuff to get stuff going yeah and I think that's definitely been I can really recognize that myself, but very been difficult in the pandemic. You talked about how difficult it was to get, you know, the T-shirt. It's taking you two years to get here because things has just moved slower. That's one of the things, you know, if we took, if everybody could take that learning about going slower, I think it would be better for all of us. Mm-hmm. But we have mm-hmm. that impatient ingrained in us when we run our own business and involved yeah. in things mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Uh, we sometimes forget exactly a lot of small things that come, yeah. you know, comes yeah. together that makes the... Mm-hmm. The outcome, the results, or yeah. Yeah. what do you actually? But also living, living with those, um, you know, strategic touch points that you've put in place. You know, purpose, mission, vision, values, whatever you want to call them. But you know, we, our values are um, uh, work hard, be kind, don't compromise. And I think the the be kind bit is 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 amazing. And you know, I think if we look at the conversations that we're having now, day to day, that. Those three, above and beyond purpose, mission and, and vision, those three values are the things that we're talking about and that we feel, I feel, are really already embedded in the business. You know, if you're going to be kind, you've got to consider other people. You've got to be empathetic to other people's challenges, whether it's my co-founder having a busy week, so she needs to just switch off for, for five days, whether it's the guys in India getting a bit tetchy because we haven't placed an order with them when we said we would, and they're like, well, where's the where's the next order? Uh, you know, and that, that piece around kindness, kindness, kindness is just so important the hard work piece you know is 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 a natural is a natural thing i think you know there's a tension possibly between those two things and then this idea of not compromising if we're going to build a really long living business if we're going to sell a really fantastic product which at the end of the day the impact piece only works if the product's amazing if we're not going to compromise something there has to give you know kindness has a tension with working hard because we don't want people to, you know, sacrifice their own well-being in pursuit of hard work. But at the same time, we've got this um, piece around compromise, and I, I, I love those three together. And hopefully, you can kind of see that tension that's there. And it's lovely then to have a conversation about, well, you know, what what do those mean to this particular challenge or this particular week or this particular person? Yeah, and I guess also you will never be done satisfying those values because there's always an imperfect balance yeah. between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the one, the kindness. I guess also that's kindness, as you said, to yourself, that it's okay. It's six o'clock, I'm mm. going to close. Mm. And it's weekend, I'm going to go out and, and enjoy the weather mm. Uh, mm. because there's always work never disappears. It's always there, always there. Um, one question I always ask about, and I think you you will have some as you work with a lot of brands and you help them on setting themselves up for success or taking them from one place to another. And now you launch the, another business again or an, and a charity and on top of that and all the impact. But what is like your, you know, your top advice if, you know, because a lot of business leaders out there, they want to do good. They want to be have a business that's a force for good. But sometimes they it's going to be a bit cloudy and... Well, what do I do? Where do I start? I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer that question because I'm so I'm so young in this journey of uh, of building a business as a force for good. You know, we're we're as I said three or three three or four weeks old. Um, 
And yeah, I, I think for me, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, as a founder, really knowing what it is that makes you tick, you know, knowing yourself, aligning your personal principles with the, you know, and, and there's things that you're passionate about with the business, I think you're going to have a better life and hopefully you're going to build a better business. And I think a lot of people, maybe I'm skeptical, I feel like there's a bit of bandwagoning, you know, mm. this, this, is the order of the day we've all got to be sustainable we've all got to have a purpose we've all got to do this that and the other but I, I I think it's got to be aligned with your personal principles if it's a founder-led business you know and I think yeah that comes back to this piece of understanding yourself and and and, and understanding the way that your that your that your mind works um so I don't know if that's advice or an opinion but um yeah if you're going to go out and do something do something that you really give a fuck about and think about impact over purpose, I think. Yeah, I guess because if you want to kind of stick with it on the journey, it really needs to touch you yeah. deeply. And I guess that goes also if you're not even the founder. It could also be a local thing you do. Let's say you as a GM mm. for a restaurant shop and then there's something local you can do with your local beavers or mm. Mm. any kind of thing where you actually make you know their life a little bit better. In yeah, I think so. I think that piece around, you know, the, again, like the, another word community is bandied around mm. so much. And, you know, I get a lot of, well, why don't you do something in the UK or why India or, you know, in, 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 accusation of white savior syndrome. And I, I don't really want to be drawn into that <laughs> topic. But for me, India was accidental. It could have been anywhere. I happened yeah. to go there by mistake. I liked it. I had this, you know, I met these kids. I became in some tiny way part of their stories and they became a huge part of mine. Um, and I think, you know, community for me is about being a part of a group of people that you care for and that you feel naturally compelled to support. And, 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 and you know, yes, that could be geographically close to where you live, but also it might not be. Um, I think the important bit is we are much better when we're together. Um, and in the world that we live in, yeah, that can be that can be any 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 corner of the world. I think it's just you've got to really you've got to really feel it, you know. It's quite interesting because I was I was listening to um, I was not reading on the train this morning up to London. I was listening to an audio book, and the last the pandemic, I become very interesting what the Stoic did. And yeah. also, a friend of mine said, "Read about the Stoic, Michael. It's going to be a tough journey." And I done, and it's really really insightful. And they said one of the principles is that you actually, you know, you, it's part, if you want a great life, there's a balance. You need to do something for others. It doesn't need to be something really game-changing, but mm. go in your local community and do small things. It could be helping out at the cake selling uh, at school, or it could whatever it can be. It can be that you pick up litter. You know, you do those things because actually they give you so mm. much, but mm. without expecting anything again. Yeah. And I think we don't need to do big things. We can just do small things. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, that's also okay to do big things. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, but the yeah, whole yeah. stoic thing is that when you engage in that and become part of helping the community you live in, it makes you feel better. And therefore, you get more energy, become a more sure. positive person. I've used this really wanky phrase, living partly in the service of others for a while. and uh, I, I, But it, it is kind of, for me, that is that. The, the closest I've come to really bottling that 
balance. It's okay to want to be successful. It's okay to want to have a nice life. It's okay mm. to enjoy nice things as long as you're doing it for the for the for the right reasons and you're not doing it to impress other people. Um, but at the same time, not not doing it purely for those reasons and making sure that that you're 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 doing yeah you're doing enough yeah, a, a proportionate amount for other people. So, Ed, we've been around your journey, launching Tom Print, why you did it, what the role of business are in making the world a better place. We talked about brand, how they can make impact. You've given some good advice. We've also been on an internal journey uh, about how do you actually you know, show up every day and the challenge around that. And you had some productivity advice on how to block time out. If people want to connect with you mm -hmm. or support yeah. the crowdfunder, where do they go? Sure. So um, I think it's just important to mention that, that, and I haven't mentioned her name yet, and I think she deserves as much credit as, as, as anybody else for getting us where we are today. So my co-founder, um, Evgenia, mm -hmm. um, who took a huge punt um, in 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 joining me on this this journey when it was just a seed of an idea. So, you know, you can reach us, and it, it really is a we're equal partners, and 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 we 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 put an equal heart and soul into what we're into what we're trying to build. So, you know, I just wanted to yeah. I just wanted to mention mention that because we ain't a one man show. Um, and I think you know we are available at Thumbprint Apparel. Dot com is our is our website um, or at thumbprint.apparel on Instagram and from both of those platforms you can easily find our crowdfunding um, campaign over on Indiegogo and there's a little video there that explains more about what we're doing you can see and you can buy the products um, we've got great single items on there some plain basics some initial designs we've got bundles of three if you want to buy one for yourself and give two to people that you that you love um, and then from a consulting perspective I'm at edwardfrancis.co um, which is my my consulting website um, and easily find me on LinkedIn um, and Instagram and equally Evgenia is on both of those as well and um, it goes without saying we'd love to hear from anybody with thoughts good or bad and anyone who wants to talk to us about merchandise or, or any other aspect of what we're trying to build great great Ed. thank you so much for for coming here today and I send you you know you all means people in India as well, all the power and energy that you need to succeed on this journey. And we'll put all the things you just mentioned in the show notes. Thank you for coming. Very kind of you to have me. Thanks, Michael. Thank you so much, Ed. Love your deep passion and termination for building a business that can make impact at scale. Ask yourself now, how can I make impact, big or small, right now? If you want to learn more about how to build a business as a force for good, tune in to episode 150. Carly Trisgro, co-creator of UpUp, talks about how restaurant can catalyze change. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their social at BizSimply or at BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly at advice at BizSimply.com. Thank you to Fina Charlton, the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels, which all could be done via the website, 
hospitalitymavericks.com. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the weekly newsletter Maverick Talk via hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm Michael Tingser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick! Maverick.